Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. In today's episode, we are going to talk about how to increase trust with our kids, how our kids can actually trust us more. Now, why does that matter? Well, I think most of us as parents want our kids to be open with us. We want to know what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what's going on in their world. We want them to see us as a resource and a support. But sometimes the reality of parenting doesn't play out that way. Sometimes our kids withhold from us, they lie to us, they avoid us. They won't open up about what's going on for them, and we have to guess and discover things. And that can be very exhausting and frustrating as a parent. So how do we create an environment in our home where our kids actually feel secure enough with us to where they'll open up and they'll talk with us about what's going on, where we can have the kind of trust and security to where their worlds are open to us, and we can actually be there as a guide and a support with them. My guest today is Emily Christensen. She is a certified life coach, and she has presented to a variety of church groups. She's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she's trained church leaders. She's spoken at the Women's Conference there at Brigham Young University on issues related to pornography. She is the daughter of a recovering pornography and sex addict, and she understands how these things can impact families deeply for generations. And as a coach, Emily specializes in teaching parents the tools they need to protect their children from the compulsive use of pornography. And also, she's so good at helping parents learn how to build deeper trust with their kids so that kids will learn that they can open up their worlds and be more connected to their parents and get the real support that they need in their lives. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Emily. And and this conversation we had was just so intriguing, so interesting about how we can create conditions with our kids and allow them to know that we're there for them and that they don't have to withhold their world from us. So let's jump right in to my interview with Emily Christensen. Well, Emily, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to be with you today. It's great to be here. Today, we are going to talk about building trust with our kids, especially around topics that are hard for everyone to talk about, but especially kids. And that obviously that includes things like their own 
emotional world, their sexual development, things that kids struggle with in terms of pornography or other types of things that they might want to stop but can't stop, you know, can be screens, gaming, food. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. But basically, like, how as parents do we create an environment where our kids will come to us? Because I think every parent dreams of that, right? My kids will be open with me, they'll talk with me, but we sometimes are inadvertently doing things that make it so difficult for our kids to trust us. Well, I just think it's something that we all want, like you said. Yeah. And it's something that we just think that our kids know they can trust us, right? Yeah. We just think that they have this assumption like, oh, they know. They know they can talk to me about anything. Like we've said it once and then they just know, but do they feel it? Are they really talking to us? And you know, what really matters is that we can only help our kids to the degree that they trust us. So if they trust us a little, we can help them a little. If they trust us a lot, we can help them a lot. Right there. And so that's why trust is so fundamental. And I don't care how many books you've read. I don't care how many courses you've you've taken. doesn't even matter if you're like professionally trained to talk with your kids about pornography or sex or whatever. If they don't trust you enough to open up and talk to you, or even if you discover something and you approach them, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. It's not going to land if there's not trust. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally relate to that because, I mean, here I am, right? This person who's out speaking about this and writing about these, these issues, but I don't get some free pass with my kids just because I know yeah. a ton about this. <laughs> yeah, we wish. Yeah, no, they're not, they're not just going to say, oh, yeah, my dad knows a lot, so let me just open up. No, that doesn't work yeah. that way. Nope. Yeah. No, and it's something that takes work and takes effort to establish, yep. but it really, it's, that's what establishes our effectiveness as a parent is the degree to which our kids trust us. Mm. And, and so we really, I think it's just such a fundamental and foundational part of our parenting. And we live in a world now, like the stakes are too high, right? We talked about pornography, but what about sexting? What about just social media in general mm-hmm. and dealing with the pressures of social media? Just what about sexuality as a teenager and trying to figure that out? What about mental health issues, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts? Yeah, suicidal thoughts, self harm. Yep. Like, yep. how many things are our kids going through? Friends, relationships with friends, with boyfriends, girlfriends, all of that. Like, how many things are our kids going through that they need? They need someone to talk to and they're going to talk to people they trust. And that can be us or that can be someone else. But if we want it to be us, then we've got to establish that trust. Yeah, I love that. And I I know that we often expect so much out of our kids, right? We have all these expectations for them, but I think it's just as important for our kids to be able to have expectations of us. Yeah. Right? I mean, that we owe them an environment where they can let their internal world come out in a safe place. No, it's got to be a safe place. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes our kids come home from school and then like that's when they let loose, right? Like they have the tantrum and then we're just like, how come you're so good at school? And then you never have any behavior issues at home, but you're always this or at school, but you always have issues at home. And really, that's a good thing. Like Mm -hmm. I want parents to know that that's a really great thing because that's a sign that they feel safe enough in our presence to lose it. Mm Mm-hmm. And instead of like shutting that down and getting after a child because they've had a meltdown, we need to remind them. Now, safety is another issue. Safety for themselves or a sibling, right? Where we need to step in and help protect them or someone else. But if 
they're just having a bad day and having a meltdown, they need a place to get that out. And school, if for all or most of our kids is not that place, right? They've gone all day just trying to get through. So they need to be able to come home and just have a place where it can come out. And it's just home is just a really good place to have a bad day. And so that home feels safe. And that home environment feels like a place where they can share things that are hard. Yeah, I love that. Home is a really good place to have a bad day. That should be a bumper sticker. I love that. (laughs) And what I love about it is that when our kids are having those bad days, they're actually, it's very honest. And they're showing us that internal world that we all say we want to see. But then when we see it, we're like, put that back. (laughs) Not now. Don't show me that internal world. Show me the other internal world. Stop having a bad day. It's good vibes only. (laughs) I'm very anti-good vibes only signs. So no, it should be just like all vibes are welcome. It's all okay here. You can come here and you can just let it out. You're not going to be judged for it. You're not going to get in trouble for it. It's just a place where you can come be. And we all need that. If school is not going to be that place, most likely. Wasn't for me. Yeah, right? Yeah, especially middle school. And oh and and so where else if home is not that place, where are kids going to go? Yeah. And I'll tell you where they're going to go. They're going to go find some unhealthy coping mechanism, you know. They're going to look at porn, they're going to masturbate, they're going to turn to something else to just relieve the pressure that they feel because they don't feel like they have a safe place to get it out. Right. Right. And so that's just really critical. Years ago, I went to a, a conference in Berkeley, California. I don't know if you've been to Berkeley or not, but it's no. It's sort. Of, it was sort of the heart of the hippie, you know, back in the '60s hippie movement. And there's just a lot of. It's just a really cool place, and people are just really open-minded there. And anyway, I went to this conference there on shame, and the presenter is this really small group of us. There's probably 20 of us, and the presenter she just starts off the conference and she says, "Your tears are welcome here," hmm. and. As soon as she said that, I started crying. <laughs> like, thank you. <laughs> it was just like this permission to like yeah. that everything I was feeling was fine. And I wasn't even consciously aware of anything going on for me. But I, I just remember that that welcome, that that sense of like, whatever you've got going on, totally welcome here. And I, yeah. I remember it just like, I just, a little tear came down. I was like, wow, <laughs> how about that? That just little coaxed, it just kind of opened up my internal world there that I wasn't even aware of. And I just... I've always appreciated that. And so I love what you're saying here that our homes, we have to overtly send these messages to our children and also model it that basically say like, whatever you've got going on, I welcome it, bring it. Yeah. 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 No, right? Can you imagine if we could do that, our kids could do that, that would just turn down the heightened stress because we all know we can just let it out. Like we can just be the worst version of ourselves and we're still going to be loved. We're still going to be accepted. We're still going to belong. Yep. And it can, because that's what helps us get through it. Not holding it in, not pretending it's not there, but just having a place where our humanness can just be, is just so critical. Right. That's where the trust starts. It's really in that permission to be a human being. And let's give some examples here of what trust can look like between a parent and a child for a child to feel that from their parent and also mistrust. Can you kind of walk us through what, you, what you've what you seen? Yeah. Well, same type of thing, right? If a child trusts you, disclosure is one thing, but emotional expression is another. A child expressing big emotion 
with you or in front of you is a sign of trust, is a sign of, I feel safe enough with you to let this come out. Sometimes even as parents, we have to be the emotional punching bag. Sometimes they might yell things at us. I hate you. I, you know, anything like they just have, they've got stuff they've got to get out. And sometimes we just have to be the punching bag to allow that to come out because that's a sign that I feel safe enough for this to come out. Now, mistrust, I think of, and if anyone has toddlers, like we both had toddlers, so we know, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. When a toddler gets quiet, that's a sign. <laughs> There's a problem, right? You know that you're oh, going to walk man. in and they've got a Sharpie all over the walls That's or right. on them, or they're like binge eating fruit snacks or goldfish. And you know, something's gone wrong when it's gone quiet. So the same principle as kids get older, we have to be tuned in to how our kids are acting because a sign of mistrust is they're not going to share with us, right? And things are going to get quiet. And when I say quiet, I mean that behavior, there's going to be slight shifts or changes in that behavior or in their emotions that are going to be indications to us that something's wrong and they don't feel safe enough or they don't trust us enough to tell us that something's wrong. So because of the work that I do, I get asked a lot, tell me, I want to know like what filter I need for my internet. I want to monitor my kids online. And I have a lot of opinions about filters. I think. Unfortunately, they just give a false sense of security. But more important than monitoring your kids' internet usage, if you're worried about kids and porn, you need need to be monitoring their behavior. You need to be monitoring their actions and their emotions and be aware of those slight shifts or changes. Because if that's changing and they're not talking, that's a sign of mistrust. And that's a sign that you need to act. And you need to come in. You need to gently approach. And open the door, like you said, this is a tears are welcome, all things are welcome, and just open the door and give them permission to share because something obviously is going on. Yeah, I love that. I love that that comparison of the quiet toddler and the quiet teenager. And it's not that some kids just aren't naturally more introverted or drawn in or whatever. Yeah. You know, I've got kids like that, but like it's about patterns, right? It's about it's about noticing that their internal world is not coming out at all. And if you're not hearing it, who is? Where is it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and like you said, they're managing it somehow. They're managing it with something. Yeah. And ideally, we want to teach them how to manage their internal world in relationships. Yeah, because that's the lifelong skill. That's right. right. And that's the long-term goal is we're not just trying to build robots that are compliant with what we say and don't say. We're trying to teach kids how to be human in a world full of issues and problems and how to manage life because we're dealing with it as adults. They're trying to figure it out as kids. And so we're trying to give them the tools and the things they need to know as a child and as a teenager to learn how to cope. Because it is true. If they're not talking to us and they're holding it in, then they're self-harming or they're looking at porn or they're, you know, taking drugs, they're drinking, they're having sex, they're doing something to just find a release from whatever is inside of them that they don't know, that feels so big and heavy that they don't know what to do, what to do or how to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And even if kids don't act out with some type of, you know, destructive behavior, there are lots of internally destructive things like shame-based thinking and, and depression and other things like that, that where they go deep inside and close off and, and shut down or anxiety, panic attacks and things that, that they may cause tremendous suffering because they don't know how to manage what's going on for them. And and so, you know, 
there can be a false sense of security. Like, well, I don't think my kids using drugs are looking at porn. So like, we're good. Right. And it's like, yeah. oh no, there's a million ways to cope. <laughs> there's a lot of ways to manage or mismanage our strong emotions. We do. I mean, you know, Netflix binging, food. I mean, there's lots of ways to escape out of the discomfort because life is uncomfortable. And I think yeah. life is really uncomfortable for kids and, and young, you know, middle schoolers, teenagers, like it's probably the height of discomfort. Yeah. No, and I'm so glad you brought that up that it's not just because parents think, yeah, I'm okay. My kids aren't looking at porn. And just like you said, even like, like developing this pattern of people pleasing or perfectionism yeah, or all of those are dangerous. None, none of those are healthy ways because they're so desperate to be loved or they just don't know how to deal with how they feel that they're developing patterns that aren't healthy and aren't a good way to live on any end of the spectrum. So it's just being aware, being aware of all of that. Yeah. So as parents, what are some things that we inadvertently do? I mean, I've never met a parent that consciously was like, today I'm going to give my child something to have to struggle with the rest of their life. You know, we're not... Today I'm going to build distrust with my child. <laughs> That's my goal. We're all, right? coming, we're all coming at it from a really genuine place, I believe. I think we're all doing the best we can. But, but we do yeah. things that inadvertently sow the seeds of mistrust in our kids. What are those things, Emily? Well, I think there's a few different things. I think number one, the freak out, the parent freak out, which is normal. And it's part of being a parent. So sometimes our child might- I've had some might... good ones. <laughs> I've had plenty. I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to tell <laughs> <Okay>. you later. <laughs> but, but when we just lose it, right? Yeah. And, and it's usually triggered because we don't, we're human, just like our kids are human. So we don't, they do something, they say something, we find out about something and we lose it. Mm -hmm. Now we're losing it because we're feeling a big emotion and a reaction to their behavior. But they're perceiving that as mom and dad don't love me. <laughs> mom and dad, you know, can't handle what I'm doing. And for them, their perception is very shameful. And although it's just about us, right? They don't perceive it that way. Yeah. So that's one thing that we, that we do that breeds mistrust is just, and, and I'm, we'll talk, we can talk about that later, how to repair that, but that's just a normal part of parenting. The other thing we do is we try and change their behavior by our reaction, right? So we might have a child that's obsessed with video games and we think video games are the biggest waste of time. So every time they talk about that video game, we kind of roll our eyes or, you know, be like, you know, maybe you shouldn't spend so much time on the video game or we make fun of the video game almost in an, in a way to push them away from the video game, right? Because we're so, we just don't want them to play with the video game anymore. But the problem is, is the child will not stop liking the video game. They're just going to stop talking to us about the video game, right? So if we just lay into them with this lecture about how you just, you shouldn't play that video game, video games will rot your brain. And, and don't you think about anything else? Or maybe you should, it's all good intention because we want to, develop our kids into this idea that we have for them, right? Or into things that we think are better use of their time. But shaming them through verbally or non-verbally is not helpful. Another thing we do is we don't talk about, we don't talk about issues. Mm. And this is really with sex and pornography, a big one, because especially in our faith-based community, we are, we think, well, our bodies are temples, right? And sex is so sacred. And so we want to keep it sacred. We're not going to talk about these things. But when we don't talk about these things, we send the message that those topics are off limits, that we can't talk about it. 
And do you think our kids, if we can't even say the word sex without turning red and, you know, salivating or getting uncomfortable, do you think our kids are going to talk to us that they're looking at porn or they're having sex? Like, of course they're not. Like, because they they don't think we can handle it. They don't think we can deal with it because we're not bringing it up. We're not talking about it. And so I think these are all things that we're not intending to do, but we are doing that are just eroding that trust. Yeah. So getting our comfort level or increasing our comfort level with these topics that we have to look at, why are we uncomfortable? Why, why is this something that's hard for me to talk about or face? Or do I just, you know, or do I talk about it in a judgmental or accusing or shameful way, you know, about other people's lives or things I see in the media or, you know, there's just kids are, you know, we're all just taking in data and information all the time. And our kids are no exception to that. They're picking up on this stuff and our attitudes and beliefs and they, they'll apply those to them. They're egocentric. They're going to be like, huh, I guess they probably feel that way about me too. That is such a good point. The way we talk about other people and their struggles and their situations. How do we talk about addiction in our home? How do we talk about mental health in our home? How do we talk about those who struggle with depression and anxiety? How do we talk about teenagers that are having sex? How do we talk about kids that don't serve LDS missions? How do we, you know, you think about all these topics where we've inadvertently sent messages or we, we praise those who make the decisions. And then we're just, and even not even how we talk about it, but even not talking about it because not talking about things is just, then it just becomes shameful. When we don't talk about something, it just, when it's secretive, it becomes shameful. And so if we just don't talk openly about it and just say, this kind of stuff happens, people do this kind of thing and, and apply compassion and in a non-judgmental kind of way, it can be just like you say, kids are going to think, well, what if I end up in that camp? <laughs> oh yeah. But if I'm the one doing those things, then are you going to feel that same way about me that you feel about this person that just did that? Yeah. I remember one time, even in a good way, I remember one time, one of my children courageously brought up the fact that they didn't like how I was praying about another family member. I mm -hmm. just in a family prayer, I had said something, you know, indicating in the prayer that this person was off the path or doing something wrong or something like that. It was, there was this kind of, and it was coming from me from a place of concern and care and love, but it was coming from a place of judgment and a place of fear. And my kid picked up on that and, and asked me about it and just was, and, and I knew exactly what, what they were saying to me there. The message was basically, you know, if I make a mistake or, or I do something that you don't agree with, or you don't understand, like, are you going to be praying for me like that? <laughs> yeah. Are you still going to love me? Right. Or am I, right. Is it so black and white that you love the white, you don't like the black. Yeah. And then if I'm in that camp, you don't love me anymore. I was so you know? grateful that it was brought to my attention and we could have that conversation. So there could be some reassurance because I would never want any of my children or anyone I love or anyone for that matter to believe that I would think less, less of them for doing something differently than me. But we have to be so just aware of yeah. these ways that we can build mistrust inadvertently. Yeah. And I love how your child picked up on that. Yeah. Because I think we don't realize how much our ch children are listening uh -huh. and understanding, and we don't give them enough credit for how aware they are, right? Yeah. And so then when we don't talk about big stuff, you know who they're going to talk about with is their friends, right? That's right. The worst thing is, is they're not talking 
to anyone about it, right? They're just holding it in. Then the next level is, well, I'm talking with my friends. I don't talk with my parents. I guess it's okay. They're talking with someone, but the best case is they're talking with us about those topics. And so we just have to, I love that your child felt safe enough to even come and say that and correct you and say, I'm concerned about that. You know, that shows that open environment of like, I can say something to my parent and they're not going to get mad or, and they're going to be open and listen to that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was one of those moments that's mixed, right? Like there's a part of me that felt a little defensive, a little caught, right? A little bit on, on guard, like, wait a second, you know, even my prayers are being scrutinized. You know, I mean, there was a part of me that felt a little defensive, but then there was also this other part of me that was like, wow, like. I would never want you to feel that way. I'm so glad you said something. I would hate for you to hold on to that. And so I think it's parents. I think it's important to give ourselves a break here and recognize even if we have a, a pretty normal human reaction of feeling exposed or embarrassed or a little defensive, we can own that and still at the same time be grateful that we're talking about that and let our children see and ourselves really learn how to stay in that kind of tension and messiness because that's where the connection is. Yeah. And they, it's so good for them to see our humanness. That's right. And so then they feel safe being human, right? But if they just see that we're a robot and we've got it all together and and we don't make mistakes, then how comfortable are they going to be telling us that they're making mistakes? Last night, yeah, last night my son, my 16-year-old son was talking to my wife and he said, he goes, yeah, he goes, sometimes I miss the innocence of childhood. He goes, but then I think of this Calvin and Hobbes comic that I read recently that where Calvin said, I used to be afraid of growing up to be an adult, but then I realized that adults are just ad-libbing it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, son, we are. We're, we're, we're doing our best. We don't have all the answers. We're in this together. We just got a head start with you. And so we're just, you know, and it was great. We had a good laugh about it, but that's really the message, right? Like we want our kids yeah. to know that we're learning with them as well. And it's safe to learn this together. Yeah, that we're human together. That's right. And I think parents are afraid. They somehow think that they'll lose respect or authority if they expose that part of them. Yeah, no, not at all. And really, it's the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Your kids trust you more when you open up to them and you tell them about your insecurities. You tell them about, you know, where you struggle and your mistakes. Now, obviously, some there's some discretion. There's some based on the age, the emotional level, the maturity of the child, you know, and you use that discretion appropriately. But it's so important to talk about those things and share those things. And so they realize, oh, okay, I can talk about that with mom or dad. They know what this feels like. They know what I'm feeling. They can relate to that. And we're talking about children right now. You know, the context is is clearly about kids that are still in your home. But I want to speak to all of you listening that have adult children and grandchildren, there is something so powerful about seeing an old dog learn new tricks. (laughs) And I've seen miracles happen in families where a parent, an adult parent, or an older parent says to one of their adult kids, you know, I I always thought it was this way, but I realize it's this way now. And I'm sorry for the effect that's had on you. And I want to do something different. Or can we try this again? Or I always used to do this, but I want to do this now. Whatever that, however it shows up, I'm amazed at how forgiving and how open adult children can be and how relieved they are and how much healing can happen when at any time we get honest with our own humanity and we're working. And that that trust can be rebuilt. It may be harder, you know, for a, an adult kid to open that up, you know, younger children, of course, or there's just not been as much water under the bridge, but I still think it's worth it and important at whatever point you recognize where you need to do something different as a parent 
to extend that. To me, there's it's never too late for that. No, never, never. And because what can happen is if we establish these patterns when our kids are young, it will go into adulthood. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go away. It's not like we become adults and all of a sudden, oh yeah, I trust you now. I can tell you anything. If they felt that as a when they're young, then it will be the same as their adults. And it doesn't mean when love and trust are different, right? Like you can love someone and not trust them. And I think there's, in, especially in a parent-child relationship, a child can love their parent and respect their parent and honor their parent, but not trust them to tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. And that can happen when they're young. It can happen into adulthood. And just like you said, opening up and saying, maybe I didn't do this right. Like that is powerful leadership. That is being a leader. That is being, and that openness will just draw people to you. It will not push them away. It will just pull them to you. And then they'll be like, yes, I feel safe. I can trust you. Like, let's talk because I'm that same way too. We're all that same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, vulnerability brings closeness. It just does. Yeah. And I've, I've never met a kid or a parent, anybody that, that said like, no, I'd rather you not be real with me. <laughs> <laughs> just be fake. We're That's looking. Amazing. Yeah. We're always looking for what's real. We're always wanting to know what's real and scan for it all the time. I mean, even in, you know, videos on YouTube, people, the comments, you know, oh, it's fake. That's fake. We're, we're looking yeah. for reality. We love that. We crave yeah. that as humans. We want the truth. And our kids can detect it. Yeah. And when we're being fake with them and when we're holding back, when we're not telling them the whole truth, when we're even showing up inauthentically and not like we say, I love you, but we're really like ticked off inside, they can sense that. Mm-hmm. And we can't cover that up and hide that. And so that's why being real is always the best, always the best way to go. So if a parent's listening to this right now and they're thinking, I don't even know if my kids trust me or not. Like, is there a way that they can find this out from their kids? I mean, or or do they just start acting in trustworthy ways and just watch what happens? I mean, what do you recommend? Well, that's a great question. I think, I think we never underestimate the benefit of, of conversation and being open. Yeah. And just talking and sharing. And, and if the child, I mean, you can always ask your child, do you trust me enough? If the answer is yes, I don't know. I'd almost be more Larry of a yes and a no, right? (laughs) Because I think it's normal to be like, sometimes I don't trust you. Sometimes I feel scared. I feel like that's maybe the more honest answer. But I think we just have to start with us sharing something and apologizing or asking for forgiveness or owning our emotion. We just have to start setting that pattern in our home. Yeah where we are owning our own emotional experience and we're not blaming them. So when we lose it, it's on us. And we just say, you know what? I have big emotions sometimes. Sometimes I do not handle things the right way. This was not your fault. That was on me. I need a do-over. Like, will you let me have a do-over? And just owning that. And I think as we just do that over time, their hearts will soften. What I know and I've seen in my own kids is they're so forgiving. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thankfully. I right? I think they're so much better than me sometimes. They're just like, we love you, mom. We forgive you. Like, <laughs> we know you're trying. Like, <laughs> I know. And I, and I think that, you know, and I, I hate to set up this comparison, but if, if I were to, if I were to, you know, if a parent had to, had to choose between saying I love you to a kid or I'm sorry, I would much rather have them say I'm sorry to their kid. Yeah. I mean, it, I think both matter, obviously. But I think the message here is that your vulnerability, your willingness to connect to your humanity, their humanity, 
and acknowledge mistakes and just be real and honest. I mean, for those of you listening, I mean, did you grow up in a home where your parents said they were sorry for stuff they had done to hurt you? Do you say that to your kids? It's very healing. It's very powerful for a parent to not act like they're immortal in God, like that, they, that they're just, or that they're all omniscient, all powerful, like that we're humans. We're, we're, we're working through this together and nobody's fooled by that. Yeah. Yeah. You can just imagine, I have this image in my mind when there's distrust between a parent and child, it's like there's a wall. Yeah. Right. We can live in the same home. We can provide for all their needs. We can, on the outside, it can look really good, but there's a wall. And when we open up and we show our humanity, that just takes the wall down brick by brick. Mm-hmm. And when we just show who we are and that we're not perfect, that we're learning, that we we struggle to figure out our emotions, then that wall comes down and then we put ourselves in a position to help our child. Because the reality is, like, think about this. We cannot control the choices our children will make. They are going to have their own path and do their own thing. The only thing, so I just always hope that that there's no wall, right? That no matter what happens, mm-hmm. they're going to come talk to me. No that's matter right. what right. happens, that I will be the one that they turn to. Because that's what we all need, is we all need someone in our life, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, that the door will always be open. And we'll just say, come, like, I won't judge you. I will love you. I am here for you. I want to help you. And if, if that wall can be down, like that's the kind of relationship our kids need now and will need as they grow into adulthood. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, if you're, we're all looking for parenting outcomes. We want to know if we're getting it and we want to, you know, know if we're really being there for our kids and more so than their GPA or their, you know, their performance on and off the field or whatever, those kinds of things. I think their, their willingness to trust us and be open with us, like you said, regardless of whatever direction their journey takes them. Having that that connection to me is just such a sweet fruit of parenting that I think it's worth aiming for. I think yeah. that that's really where I want to put my efforts is just to have a relationship with my kids and have them feel comfortable sharing their life with me, even if it's different than my life. And it will be. Yeah. It, it will they're, be. They're not me. Like It doesn't even matter if they, if they go to the same school I went to and do the same career. Like It's still going to be different. And that's a good thing. Yes. Like, They're going to have their own life and their own choices. And if we just decide, I'm going to love you the same, no matter what, there's just such a relief with that, right? Because then we always know the answer, no matter the problem. Yeah, I love. We always know the answer is, I'm going to love you. Like, there's nothing you could do that would make me not love you. Right. So, but I think that's where the fear comes in in parenting, because we are so afraid that our child will you know, look at porn or get involved in an addiction or... Feel, um, yeah, feel suicidal or pick the wrong yeah. friends or, yeah. Or they won't go on a mission or, you know, if we're talking in a faith context, mm-hmm. like they won't stay with the same faith traditions. And and we don't even know that seems so big and so scary to us. And we don't know. I think at the end of the day, we all could love them there, right? But in that moment, we just think we're so there's so much fear that we can't love. There's so much fear of where we think they're going to go that we can't love them right now. That's right. And, and that's just not, that's just, and then when kids feel that, that just pushes them away. And that's the last thing, like the last thing they need is to be pushed away. They need that love. That's what they need more than ever in that moment. 
when they're trying to figure out, figure all those, all these things out is that a parent loves them no matter what. Yeah. You can't control their direction, but you can absolutely control your level of openness and safety with them. You can do that. Yeah. And the love you feel for them. That's right. You can control that. Totally. No matter what they do. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess in terms of summarizing this, Emily, like if if people are going to really assess that instead of quizzing their kids about it, because I, I agree, if I were to ask my kids that, they'd probably be like, well, my kids are pretty honest with me. But like, you know, I, I can imagine most kids being like, well, what answer does my parent? Of course, they want to feel like a good parent. They're going to tell me, you know, they're going to tell them, yeah, I trust yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, you're like, but- okay, I've got it. No, I, I think the real kids would be like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or I trust you here, but I, I'm a little bit scared here. Whatever. I mean, we just, yeah. you know, the, the truth is, is that we're all, we all have parts of ourselves we wouldn't want other people to always see, you know, we're, we're working through stuff. But I think you're right. Instead of trying to just like quiz them and get to the bottom of it, I think there's something really powerful about modeling this through openness, vulnerability, admitting mistakes, apologizing, showing tremendous amounts of love and acceptance what did Heim Gannat say? He wrote between parent and child. He says, we're permissive with our feelings, but we're strict with behaviors. Yeah. So, right. So if kids are doing things that we, we still set boundaries, we're not just going to have this big free for all, but, but to let our kids feel what they feel. And like you said, share how they feel about us and about what's going on in their life, have these meltdowns. Like we just, we allow some room and space for them to feel those things. What else, Emily? Like this is a great place to start. What else can parents do to really start to build a culture of trust? So one thing that's really important, I think a message that is critical is they need to know we love them the same, whether or not they look at pornography. We love them the same. And it's not just with with behaviors we disapprove of. It's when they come home and the grades are good. I'm constantly emphasizing this to my kids. I say, I love you the same if you came home with all Fs. I love you the same. Like we get excited if they make the soccer team. We get excited if this big thing happens. But then I always remind them, I love you the same if you don't make the soccer team, right? I love you the same if I love you know something happens at school. They need to know that. I, I had this experience <laughs> with my child. I have a child that feels emotion very deeply. Mm-hmm. And he had an episode where he lost it and I lost it. And then as he was coming out of it, the shame started to set in. And it was, oh, I'm such a bad kid. And because it was really reactive and his siblings saw it and it was just not a good outcome. And so he's feeling a lot of shame and saying things about himself. And then I, you know, I say, you know what, son, you know, God loves you the same, whether or not you act that way. I'm trying to teach him this principle. And then he looks at me and says, do you love me even when you yell at me? <laughs> and I was like, ouch. <laughs> but it was such a good a reminder yeah. to me. Right? Yep. That what he perceives when I lose it is that I don't love him. And that is absolutely the message that I don't want him to get. I want him to know, like, I love you even when I yell at you. Like, I love you the same whether or not I yell at you. Like, and we have, we cannot emphasize that enough. We cannot emphasize that enough in our homes that it, so when we're talking about pornography, yeah, let's not look at a pornography, but then we say, I love you the same, whether or not you look at pornography. You could be looking at it right now. I just want you to know I love you the same. Because kids, if they feel like their love for them will be threatened, they're not going to talk to us. They're not going to open up. They're not going to come and tell us what's going on. If they feel like 
that love and belonging could be threatened. And that's just how we are as humans. It's not just between kids and parents. That's just a basic human trait. Right. And it's so instinctive for us as parents to use our love as a way to change behavior. But boy, it just doesn't work no. to put them kind of in a an attachment timeout. It just doesn't work. And never, love should never be a bargaining tool. Yeah. Ever, right? right. Now there's sometimes we have to set limits. We have to teach. We have to help our children understand, but they should never feel like well, I'm going to love you any less if you choose not to do this. If you choose not to pursue this career path or do this to thing or do that thing, right? I'm not going to love you. Like love is always there no matter what. Yeah. And I love that. I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying about, you know, kids, how they can interpret us just fawning all over their successes and their achievements as, you know, that's where they're going to be loved. And then we kind of go quiet on their mistakes. And boy, there, there's a unintentional message there. So I love that when, when your kids are succeeding and doing well, you can, it sounds weird, but to really send that message of like, I love you, but I wouldn't love you any less if you weren't succeeding here. Same with mistakes. I love you. Even when you make mistakes, we may need to work on some things or figure this out or set some limits here, but that love, it's never like on trial ever. No. And, Beautiful. And, yeah. It does sound weird with the accomplishments, but it's just, it's almost even more important, right? Because they're thinking it. They start to feel like yeah. mom and dad only love me when I bring home the good grades, when I make the soccer team. And then the, then what we're creating is a people pleaser, <laughs> right? We're creating oh, yeah. this child that's just trying to earn love all the time and feels like the only way they can be loved by their parents is if they are or do certain things. Or if they behave a certain way, right? Let's say they lose it and we lose it. We have to go back and remind them, like, I love you the same. And, yeah. and we go and we offer the praise to the child who didn't have the meltdown. And then we are, you know, disciplining the child that did. And we have to always then come back to, I love you, whether or not you had the meltdown. I love, like, the love is still there. It's always there. And, we can't underestimate the power of just saying those words and communicating that. We have to over communicate that, right? Right. Not hoping they just get our drift with it because they yeah. won't. They'll no, they'll interpret. No. And in fact, I see that translate to people's conception of God, even where they they feel like they have to hustle for their worthiness, as Brene Brown says, in their relationship with God, even spiritually, they feel like they're only going to be loved or approved of if they're perfect and obedient all the time, and that God couldn't possibly love them. And I do remind them on a regular basis that. You know, Jesus did hang out with all the people who were like constantly screwing up. Yeah. Those yeah. were his people. Those like who he liked to be with. And he, you know, it's, and that's how it is. Like it, his love is available to everybody. And I, I think our kids aren't going to understand that. And like you said, unless we make it really, really obvious. And yeah. we, we, the way we do that is with our words. We have to say it. Yeah. Overly obvious. Overly. Overly obvious. And the thing is, is, we're going to lose it. We're going to be frustrated. You know, I'm going to finish this podcast and then go lose it with my kids. Like it's, it, it's, it's just scheduled. Like, you know, it's happening. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. Like, like that's just part of being human. It's part of being a parent, right? It's a hard thing to do, but then we repair, we come back and we repair the rupture and we talk about it and we show them our humanness. We show them, we show them how to repair when they're going to lose it. Right. And we ask for a do over 
And then they learn how to ask for do-overs. And really, like, that's what I want my home to be like. Mm -hmm. It's just a practice house. This Mm -hmm. is the place where we practice being human. I practice being a parent. They practice being a child. And it's just a practice. And we're all just practicing all the time. And we're going to lose it. And then we're going to repair. And we're going to love each other no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the final performance. It's not the book's not written. Right. And that just takes that pressure off. And then it just feels so much better and so much more comfortable and so much safer. Yeah. And and a place where all these things can be shared and talked about. And just the love is the baseline, right? Love is just, it's just there no matter what. Right. It's, uh, I think John Bradshaw one time said, he goes, it's, it's riding easy in the harness, riding easy in the saddle. We're like, you're moving like with the movement of the horse, you know, versus like, holding on tightly and just getting your teeth rattled. And he's like, you know, parenting and working with helping kids learn it's okay to make mistakes. We're just moving with the energy of being a human and working with all the the ups and downs and stuff like that. And we we just stop fighting it. Our kids can see that and feel that. And I love, I love the idea of the house being a place to practice being a human boy. That just feels really safe when you say that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. So my friends, my listeners, I, I, I just really, I hope you're hearing this piece of, you know, if you want to become a safe person for your kids, if you want them to trust you, it's going to happen in all the thousands of seemingly insignificant interactions around how we respond to them, to ourselves, to others. And so the good news is, is because there's thousands of them, there's lots of opportunities to try and do it differently. And it's not going to be just one grand moment, you know, when you get to have the talk with your kid. It's it's happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Never too late. Never too late. We can always start. We can always try again. Mm-hmm. Like let's give ourselves the grace that we want to offer our children and just like be willing to go in and just go for it and mess mm-hmm. up. Beautiful. And try again. And we can do this. Like we can do this. But totally. I, I just too much is at stake right now. Too much yeah. is at stake to not do this, to not go all in and creating these homes of refuge, these homes that just feel like sanctuaries, these homes where, you know, we're all telling each other the truth and it's going to feel uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Because the truth doesn't always feel good. And that's why our kids don't want to tell us the truth a lot of the time is they don't want us to feel bad. But we're all just telling each other the truth. We're all just learning to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. But then we've created this home that's a refuge, this home that's a sanctuary, this home where things can be shared, that kids can get the help for the what they need, for the problems. Their problems can be solved in homes like that. And then we're setting up them up on a path and a trajectory where they take that into life and in, into their adulthood and into their homes that we're just creating these new patterns. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Wow, Emily, I could talk to you all day about this. This is so cool. I know. Such a good topic, right? Great stuff. Yeah. You know, and you know, we're living it. We live in families. We're just, it's our lives. It's just, it's just what we're doing. So it just feels so relevant. I, I just really appreciate your, your insights, your clear thinking on this. It's really helpful. Really, really helpful. All right. So Emily, how can our listeners find you? The best way is through Instagram. I'm active there on my account and in my DMs. It's at Emily Christensen Coaching. So come there. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to answer any questions and help you any way I can. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I. That's how I found you actually. 
I love your Instagram posts, so I definitely encourage you guys to follow her there. She's posting on a regular basis and really good stuff, you know. We talk about truth bombs and, and Emily's great at that. Just a lot of really good stuff from like, wow, that's good. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on here today. And I'd love to have you back in time to keep talking about other stuff like this. You're just, uh, you're just so helpful. Well, thank you, Jeff. I just respect so much all the work you're doing and um, love following you as well. So thanks for letting me be here. Once again, I want to thank Emily for joining me on the podcast. Super helpful information and just love talking to her. And like she said, you can find her on Instagram at Emily Christensen Coaching. And I've also put her Instagram link there in the show notes so you can find her and access her great information. She's got all kinds of good stuff on her feed. It's just awesome. Once again, I want to thank all of you for joining me here on this podcast from Crisis to Connection. It's good to be with you every single week. And I love hearing your comments and your suggestions and your feedback. So keep sending it over. And of course, let me know what else you might need, what you want me to cover. I've got lots of great guests lined up and want to make sure that I am touching on the issues that matter to you. Thanks once again for all your great support. And I look forward to connecting with you in the next week.